Welcome to Permaculture Freedom Podcast. My name is Cody and I'm your host. This is a show about cultivating freedom in our lives so we can be our best self. Freedom to live a beautiful, regenerative lifestyle that inspires our families, our friends, and our community. To transform our lives and reconnect to nature within. It's a revival of our roots. Roots that run deep into the earth. We were born for this time. We were born for this time. Thanks for joining me on this beautiful journey. Thanks for showing up. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me, Sky. I really, really appreciate you coming on to tell me more about your journey so far and and our relationship that's grown. I'm so excited to talk with you. Well, thank you. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to get started. Just describe yourself and and your lifestyle. Describe myself and my lifestyle. So I am Scott Hayes. Uh, A lot of things I do have to do with uh, the fact that I'm a sixth, sixth, generation farmer here in southern Minnesota where there's a lot of corn I mean it's dominated by corn and soybeans both uh, warm season annual crops all grown in monocultures and uh, that's what my family does that's where the majority of my income comes from Uh, but then on the other hand I have that you've been to Cody several times uh, this 10 acre homestead here with a Passive solar home built with round timbers, branched columns, all these trees that I've harvested from the area that works with uh, the, it's passive solar. So it works with the, the angle of the sun and uses mass and insulation to help keep a nice, comfortable temperature year round without a lot of energy inputs and that's Mm -hmm. working great and here also on the homestead i i'm raising pasture and woodland raised hogs uh mongolitsa breed pigs it's a breed from hungary and i raised some turkeys this year and usually have just a few other things going on but always trying to get more perennials into the ground and with my family's farm focused on uh, implementing soil health principles mm-hmm. as intensively as I can and bringing my family partners along with me on that journey. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. So as a, as a permaculture influenced podcast, I like to get into, you know, what it, what permaculture really means to the people that I am talking to and, you know, how it's influenced their lifestyle. So, what, it, what does permaculture design mean to you? Uh, you know, how would you describe it to somebody who's maybe just hearing about it? Ooh, let, let's talk about ethics. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I like to just describe permaculture simply as a diverse set of ideas and principles for solving problems mm-hmm. that we as humans deal with, guided by these ethics. And 
you know, you got to work the, the prime directive in there as well, which to me basically means take ownership. Uh, so much of our life is, you know, based on, you know, what's around us, you know, our family situation, our background, where we are geographically, our genetics, you know, it just never ends. But what's important is what you do with that, that little bit, you know, what you, you do with uh, what you've been handed, take ownership of that and mm-hmm. do your best. And following uh, permaculture principles, I, I think is a, a great way to go. Yeah. How do, how do you feel like that, that ownership, you know, taking ownership, that initiative has influenced your own lifestyle? Well, you've probably seen it here uh, in my house. I have a, it's like a swear jar. Mm-hmm. But you, if my kids catch me complaining or saying I can't do something or, you know, so many times we're like, oh, I need to do this today. Mm-hmm. I need to do that. Or um, Cody asks me to do a podcast. I'm like, oh, I can't do it today. I just can't. <laughs> but really, that's a choice. Yeah. It's, it's almost always a choice. So if we can reprogram ourselves to, you know, be aware that we do have so many choices and so many opportunities, regardless of what we've been dealt. Uh, that's empowering. Mm. It allows us to take ownership of our life, our lives, and it, it's going to still be a struggle. Of course, we're going to screw a lot of things up. And, you know, I still partially judge myself uh, more than, more than I should. Mm-hmm. I think we all do. Uh, but remembering how many choices we do have is a, an empowering thing. Yeah. Take ownership. Yeah, definitely. Do you, do you feel like, do you feel like permaculture was something that brought you around to that perspective? Or do you think that was something that maybe you were raised to, to think and act that way? What do you think Uh, kind of led you to that? It's really like a push and pull. Yeah. What, I think initially drew me to permaculture was, you know, I used to, I had a roommate in college that grew a garden (laughs) me and the rest of the guys in the house kind of laughed at him. (laughs) He was a really goofy, you know, sweet person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Love that guy. But so uh, growing uh, your own food and that kind of thing was not something, at least in that period of my time, my life that I, I thought was, you know, anything sexy or cool about it. <laughs> yeah. But this, uh, what I have had from a young age is this desire to, you know, look objectively at, you know, what, what opportunities we have in life and, you know, choose to live a more free existence whenever possible. And I think, you know, taking some charge of, you know, your own necessities of life that fits beautifully into that. And that's what drew me to permaculture. And then, uh, you know, I just remember picking up a copy of Gaia's Garden and Mm -hmm. reading the back cover of it. And it talked about, you know, what if uh, your yard was as beautiful and diverse as a coral, coral reef or a tropical rainforest? And then what if pretty much everything there was edible and that had me (laughs) i was hooked yeah yeah definitely yeah 
Yeah, and I a- guess I should mention too, I have kind of an artsy fartsy kind of background. So I've always been interested in, you know, the way things look and drawing and painting mm. and so that that aesthetic really comes into play. Yeah. Which, you know, there's a lot to be said there. And lately I've been interested in things like biophilic design, mm-hmm. uh, trying to change our environments to, you know, influence our, our mental health or, you know, the, the animal inside of us really, you know, why, why is it that we, you know, what's our obsession with lawns for instance? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I think there's something there that's, uh, you know, something deep inside of us and mm-hmm. we got to listen to those, those clues when they surface. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely something there. Um, I, I'd love to know, you know, you mentioned the guy's garden and, uh, your roommate and maybe other things you came across, but, you know, was there any time in between that or, or after that you took some sort of course or a PDC or any other type of training? Yeah, I did take a PDC. I, probably the first thing I did was I read Gaia's garden. I got a copy of it. Mm-hmm. I remember if I got it like that day that I first saw it, but it was shortly after that. And I guess another big influence was working at a restaurant in college and learning more about, you know, how to prepare different types of food and some of the other, you know, there were a lot of interesting folks working there that had, you know, a culinary education and some of them were starting to think about, you know, what we might call like the paleo diet today, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, really putting some thought behind what we eat and why. And it just got me really interested in food. Mm. And let's see, you mentioned a PDC. I, I did take one in, oh boy, I'm not going to remember the year, but it was sometime around 2010 or 11. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, it was a good choice. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm still, I still have my, my notebook <laughs> with the, the day by day notes from that. Um, I had read and studied so much ahead of it that I don't know if I, obviously I learned some things from it. Yeah. Some of the other attendants probably learned even more, but maybe what I picked up was a little more nuanced. I remember the, some of the stuff about community mm-hmm. really started to stick then. And mm. that realization that, you know, things like what we're doing right now really do matter because mm. you're not going to do anything on your own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can, and maybe you'll have fun doing it. Maybe you'll hate it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. You're not going to change the world. You're not going to change, you know, we probably won't change the world anyway, but yeah, it's not going to be as rewarding or you're not going to have nearly the impact until you, learn to include a community or become part of one or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah was, I, I, oh go ahead yeah as you say that was a big takeaway from my pdc yeah yeah well i i was gonna say i i couldn't agree more and I, so many of the conversations we have with with folks that have been involved with permaculture for a, a little while now have 
come around to that same realization that, you know, the, the importance of community and, and the importance of the soft skills that go into you know, yeah. the social elements of design are really the glue that holds together approaching all of these other like kind of hard skills that initially kind of attract a lot of people like mm-hmm. growing their own food and having, you know, a well-built home and, you know, on and on. Yeah. And the thing is you can accelerate those hard skills so much faster if you're connected. Yeah. Have a, a community that can support you. Otherwise you, you can get burned out. You can, um, make mistakes that you wouldn't necessarily have had to make. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's, that's gotta be a really cool thing about what, uh, you and Megan do going to these farms and interacting with different people year after year and seeing that progression. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. Thank you for saying that. And that is exactly why we love, you know, the way our relationships grown with folks like you. I mean, just the, the realization that you don't have to do it alone and that you will never do it as well as, you know, tapping into a community that all has different, beautiful skill sets and and a story Mm -hmm. to share. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's like a bottomless source of energy as well. Yeah. I'm in kind of a rural remote area area. You've been down here. It's not the most cultured place and it, you know, sometimes during the, the summer, if I don't leave the farm for a while, I do start to feel pretty burned out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. That community is is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, where do you feel like the growing edges of permaculture are? I mean, mm-hmm. where, do, where do you feel like it, you know, we talked about more of the benefits of it. Where do you think it kind of falls short or it's not quite living up to? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And yeah, I, you had that listed as, as a question for me to think about going into this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously it hasn't uh, taken off at the, the rate of acceleration that, you know, like Bill Mollison would have hoped. You know, they had that, that energy in the, the 70s. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's not thousands of people living within a mile of me each tending to their own little plot of land and mm-hmm. uh, that'd be awesome that would really be cool if we saw that someday but um maybe where permaculture fell short is it, it teaches to observe we need to observe our our what the dominant culture is more and realize that um that's not always it's probably hardly ever going to be something we're going to change there's there's some big players there there's you know a lot of money there's whatever tendencies we have you know deep inside of our our dna that are guiding some of this and i think things are changing for the better don't get me wrong i'm very optimistic and i know we live in despite all the stuff you hear uh you know i'm convinced we live in one of the most peaceful times in the history of humans and we have so much to be grateful for these days but if uh if permaculture could apply some of its principles like you know the smallest change for the most good towards you know what is are some of these dominant institutions Mm. i think it has fallen short there and yeah it's it's not really uh 
it's a difficult subject. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I th- yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, we, we talk a lot about this word culture within permaculture and, and you mm-hmm. know, being a p- major part of that word. And I mean, the way you answer that question of, you know, asking what is the dominant culture and identifying that, I think is a great place to start is to yeah. start, you know, kind of observing. Yeah. Changes, you know, depending on where you are, it's, yep. it's one single dominant culture. Exactly. I, mean, I didn't mean to to try to impose anything. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's contextual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think that's, that's such a crucial question to ask is, you know, what is the story here? Whether it's about, you know, a social culture or it's, you know, Mm -hmm. a a natural ecosystem culture, right? It's like, what is the story here? Observing first and trying to understand. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, falls right into play here where, where I live, where, you know, the average farmer is, I don't know, the, the government keeps track of it, probably close to 60 years old now. Yeah. You know, definitely 50s, upper 50s. Yeah. Uh, people are conservative in, in many ways here, socially, politically. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to paint everyone the same. Of course, everybody's different. And when you yeah. do, um, you know, try to connect even with, somebody who does appear to, you know, fit this, this type yeah. <laughs> for uh, the culture that a lot of people see as dominant here, you know, in that narrative, uh, you can see that we, we do have a lot of the same values. And um, Before we started our, our interview here, I mentioned that I just uh, got notified that we got accepted for a, a grant from the National Wildlife Federation. I think this kind of ties into that because mm-hmm. uh, a soil health grant. It's called mm-hmm. uh, the Cover Crop Champions Program. I know several people who have gone through this, but one thing that is included with uh, being accepted into this program is uh, the team I'm on, we get some training on you know, how to work around some of this Mm-hmm. uh cultural stuff i'll just call it um in in the soil health world a lot of the people who are you know really implementing these uh soil health principles with with a lot of uh enthusiasm and you know getting the work done they are you know like in permaculture they're kind of the the innovative type the pioneers mm-hmm. And they have certain traits, but as you get beyond this this uh, threshold where whoever fits that type is probably already on the on the wagon, mm-hmm. you know how do you uh, bring it to more mainstream? Yeah. And this this training I'm going to go to is going to help help us uh, to tweak our message on reaching farmers with mm. uh, soil health principles. Interesting. Uh, you have to change your, your language, how you talk to people, because they're going to, the people who aren't on board yet are going to be more, I don't know, just more cautious in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to use words like innovate. Uh, I listened to a talk about this a while. It's been a while now, so I don't remember details. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to get some more training on it. But yeah, that's, that's fantastic. 
being aware of who you're talking to is so, so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Once, yeah. Once again, I think that does just come back to what you were saying before about, you know, what is the culture? What is the story here? Mm -hmm. And just, I think those, those are where those skills of, you know, or the principles of permaculture really come into is, you know, understanding those things before you, you go in and, and impose your ideas, your, your words, your things that just create barriers from, yeah. from communication from and it's, conversation. it's really an art too, I think, yeah. to, to say the right things without, again, without like lying to yourself, being yeah. like, oh, I, I can't or I, I don't or... <laughs> yeah. So, you know, keeping that, that truthfulness, but still not, uh, not scaring away the person you're talking to. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's interesting too, that you're talking about this, uh, in reference to soil health, because, you know, a, a foundation of our program with, with open hearth is we start every year by focusing on establishing common ground. And mm -hmm. so it's it's funny the the symbolism there of common ground oh, and absolutely. talking about soil health, right? <laughs> soil health is such a, a just a one of the big reasons I've latched onto it so much. Uh, you know, one it's something I can implement over the fourteen hundred acres my family farms. It might be, you know, it's not like permaculturing your yard if you want to use it as a verb, but it's it's this lower lower down the food chain kind of approach I think but yeah. the overall impact of it I believe is probably more significant and I lost my train of thought where was I going with this uh, ground, common ground uh, yeah uh, well what could I ask you could I ask you why why do you think it's more significant uh before I forget though oh. uh one thing I, what I was getting at is it's not really an issue that's turned overly political yet, mm -hmm. which is one thing I love about it. it it's not this uh, conservative liberal divide over soil health. I think there's, there's a lot of farmers who, you know, fit that really conservative type, but they're doing awesome work in soil health. Interesting. Um, what was your question? Well, I, I have another question to that, and I'd just love to know why, why do you think that might be, that it hasn't become that kind of black and white, right and left yeah. political? Uh, maybe maybe the bastards just haven't got to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that is worth digging into more. Yeah. Is that another pun with the the soil digging into? <laughs> I couldn't yeah, resist. Yes, it was. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. Well, I, yeah, that, that's very interesting that you point that out. I, yeah, I, I would love to know, you know, what, what led you to this fascination for soil health and, and I guess what it means for regenerative agriculture yeah. you know, and, what, and, and maybe just pick those things apart a little bit, what they mean to you. Yeah, well, I think we can start with what you just asked about, you know, yeah. why I believe it's impactful because yeah. that is probably the, you know, the thing that drives me the most, makes me want to stay involved with mm -hmm. my family's farm the most is the potential impact it can have. Because if you're talking about like a thousand acres, if you're able to increase the maybe 
do some math for me here. Increase <laughs> the organic matter by 1% across those 1,000 acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of those acres can hold 20 to 25,000 gallons more water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, add three more zeros to that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of water. It is a lot of water. And think about that water. What What's happening right now is it's flowing into drainage tiles. It's fl- carrying nitrates and phosphorus, mostly mm-hmm. nitrates with it, some phosphorus. It's running over the surface, carrying the best, creaming off the best topsoil, putting it into our waterways, carrying phosphorus, more nitrates with that, you know, animal manure in some cases, uh, the soil you know, the organic matter itself is being washed away. Yeah. So if you're able to soak in more of that and increase the infiltration rate, that has a tremendous impact on just the overall health of watersheds. Yeah. And also what's cool is one of the ways to accomplish that increase in soil organic matter, um, really what you're doing is you're, you're restoring the soil food web Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you need more diversity. That's one thing that we're sorely lacking in a lot of the, the agricultural land in the Midwest. It's dominated by corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tilled. Uh, reducing disturbance or tillage is one of the soil health principles. Mm-hmm. Reintroducing livestock, integrating it you know, in a beneficial manner onto mm-hmm. that land. That's another principle. And diversity, that's manifested in, oh, at least two or three of the principles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about some of the successes you've had in, in, I know that you've been applying this in your family farm and, you know, maybe on a smaller scale too in your own homestead. And, you know, what sort of successes have you experienced? What sort of techniques have you tried? Well, we seem to be infiltrating more water. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the, the areas in the, the fields that we farm, they, they seem to hold up better to, you know, traffic from the machinery mm-hmm. because those, that soil food web, really what it's doing is creating aggregates mm-hmm. in the soil. And I know when your group was here one time, we did maybe a couple times, we've done that soil slake test. Yep where we drop a piece of soil that's dried into a container of water. And if it doesn't have those aggregates formed, if there's not the, the biological glues present, it just kind of turns into to dust. It just mm-hmm. falls into this big cloud of sediment. But if it has those biological glues, the forces of the, the water rushing into the, you know, in between those soil particles, it's, it, it still holds together. Yeah. And that, you know, I've seen that start to happen on some of our fields and we have a long ways to go on our farm. Don't get me wrong. We're up to nearly a third of the farm is, uh, has cover crops either that we're growing into the fall or seeded on right now. And mm-hmm. of course I'd like to see that 100% of the acres within the next couple of years and we we could definitely still use some more uh, diversity, getting away from solely the you know the two warm season crops that we grow. Mm-hmm. 
successes though, uh, we were able to reduce tillage significantly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got my brother pretty on board with that. He's, he's our guy now that runs this uh, strip till machine. So instead Mm -hmm. of tilling up the entire surface of a field, we're, we're just tilling little strips into it. So it's about uh, two thirds to three fourths less disturbance, mm. leaving more of that that soil structure intact, and that'll give a chance, give the mycorrhizal fungi a chance to start to grow back and reestablish. And it's uh, yeah, it just uh, it has a lot of benefits for the soil structure. But getting the cover crops and diversity back in that accelerates the progress you see with reducing tillage yeah definitely i i mean i can imagine you said up to two-thirds less right yeah yeah i mean over a thousand plus acres that adds up to a lot of land yeah and that's only happening every other year yeah uh the the years in between that if we if we stay with a corn soybean rotation i hope we're more more complex than that sure now we're just strip tilling every other year because it gets uh it'll get strip tilled before the the corn is planted either in the in the fall or in the spring yeah yeah definitely what are what are some of the major disadvantages to to over tilling um think about it i like to use this analogy that kent solberg uses he's the grazing and livestock specialist Mm -hmm. for the sustainable farming association uh, he talks about, you know, imagine your farm, whether that's your, your permaculture farm, your backyard, your, <laughs> your cattle ranch, whatever. But what if a tornado came through? It's going to cause a lot of destruction. Um, you can rebuild from a tornado, depending on how severe it is. It'll mm-hmm. go, you know, slower or faster. But what if there was a tornado every year? That's kind of what that tillage is like. If we uh, if we come through with that level of destruction to these microbes, the soil food web, uh, it causes some significant damage. If your soil health is to a level where you know where it's getting closer to to what it was before we started tilling up the the prairie and savanna, it'll recover from that faster. Mm-hmm. But to have that. Uh, pulverization year after year you're going to destroy those soil aggregates you're going to make it more vulnerable to wind and water erosion uh plus uh there's more bare soil which is another thing that further damages those microbial communities yeah 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 I, I, I see you as, as a bridge between a lot of these different perspectives. And, you know, it's the reason Megan and I just really appreciate you being a part of the Open Hearth program, too. And I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, what are some of the common misconceptions you hear from any side of the spectrum in this work? I, I think I got to say something about uh, livestock and you know, the alternate alternative meat movements and yeah, that that's, it seems to be a really hot button issue right now. And yeah, let's, let's heat it up. I listen to kind of go both ways. I listen to like the rich roll podcast and he's a, 
you know, this vegan athlete, but he's had some uh, regenerative agriculture folks on. There was mm-hmm. this great episode with, uh, you know, that documentary, The the Biggest Little Farm, mm-hmm. I think it's called. He had the uh, the farmers from that documentary on his show. Cool. So it, it's great that at least some people are digging into that discussion, that idea more. And, you know, I, I see cattle in particular as one of the best tools we have right now to sequester carbon, to restore the, that soil food web to help with that and to restore hydrology. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about this, uh, you know, the land here in the Midwest, we used to have herds with millions of bison and yeah. they were managed in a way where their, their impact was concentrated. So you had the, the land would receive this, you know, big impact by all these animals moving through it and trampling and eating and, you know, urinating and crapping on it. Yeah. And then, then it would go through a long, usually a long period of rest. And we can mimic that using cattle or, you know, I suppose we could with bison too, but it gets to be a little more challenging and, you know, kudos to the ranchers that are doing that. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but the way this works is those, those animals, they're putting this organic material back onto the surface of the soil and, you know, through their, their wastes, they're not really wastes. They're inoculating the soil with these beneficial uh, micro, microbial communities is really like a lot of the same critters that are in the, the guts of ruminant animals yeah. are the same ones that that have these important roles to play in soil. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I feel that industrial agriculture, you know, when you have animals that are, you know, confined together and all their waste is they're trying to collect it, uh, that's not good for the animals. It's not good for the people eating you know those animals and there's a lot of issues with that that system which i have to be careful with too because there's a lot of people in my area doing that so Mm -hmm. i just kind of keep my mouth shut yeah yeah i I can imagine i mean yeah same as you know where where Meg and i live too and i it's hard to talk about some of these things and not alienate some side within you know the conversation but yeah. I think so, there, I, I was just going to say, I think there, there are some things like that, you know, like CAFOs, the concentrated animal feeding yeah, operations. So that maybe eating less meat. I, I think that's probably a, a good thing, especially in the summer and times when seasonally we have a lot of other good options. Yeah. And uh, even more importantly, you know, look, try to look at where, where your meat comes from. Cause it makes a tremendous difference. It does. Like, even with my pigs, I, I'm working on figuring out their role in the ecosystem on the farm here. And if I leave them in one place too long, they, they definitely cause some damage. I can usually go back and, you know, apply some, a little bit of hay or wood chips to that soil to cover it and definitely uh, seed some cover crops onto it. And Mm -hmm. um, it gets the diversity back and, you know, it's going to recover rather quickly. Yeah. Uh, but the, the feed I use from them comes from a, uh, an organic farm that's nearby. So, you know, I like to think that I'm 
you know, supporting other farmers that are trying to do the right thing on the land mm-hmm. by raising these, these pigs this way. And I, I do want to get into ruminants too, because I, I feel like they, they really hold the, the key to, to getting some of this ecology restored. Yeah. And, you know, we wouldn't have to eat those animals. <laughs> I just don't know how you could do it economically. You know, it'd be awesome if there was like a herd of 3,000 cattle that would run around my county and eat fields and crap everywhere. And <laughs> that'd be like the coolest thing ever. But I, I don't think that's going to happen unless uh, unless a farmer can sell those animals to somebody who wants to make use of, you know, their what they offer to us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, that comes back around to, you know, this conversation with folks who, you know, might be on the fence about it. Um, it's, it's market driven and, mm-hmm. you know, this regenerative agriculture movement that puts, you know, animals puts livestock as a central role within it. You know, yeah. where, where, where do you think this movement's headed, you know, as far as well, the market that really circles back to what we started talking about in the beginning about, yeah. uh, you know, working with these levers of influence that we have instead of trying to fight culture so much. I mean, yeah, if civilization collapses or something <laughs> and we're all kind of screwed anyway, but yeah, then we can, uh, rebuild into this, uh, ecological utopia but for now if that doesn't happen uh we got to work with what we have and Mm -hmm. i see uh you know using using livestock in a way that's beneficial that's in stark contrast to the industrial CAFO model yeah such an important tool yeah i completely agree we actually have access to yeah yeah, I, I completely agree. And it, it is unfortunate, you know, we've seen so many documentaries and, and more often than not, you know, when that argument is raised against animals, it's, it's, it's raised as a straw man pointing to the industrial model. Mm-hmm. Which I agree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and exactly. And so coming back full circle to what we were talking about before about common ground, it's like we need to come back to that common ground of understanding we all agree that this isn't the way to do things let's find mm-hmm. a way to do things in a better way yeah diversity i think is another common ground core um value that you know as people in the permaculture community we we definitely all share yeah you know i'd like to see more diversity in the the people around here i'd like to see more obviously more diversity on the landscape yeah and even things like these, uh, you know, impossible burgers, one really cool and kind of ironic thing about it is that's uh, increasing the demand for some of these cool season crops like field peas, which oh, open up a huge opportunity in a, a niche in the production system. If, yeah. if I could raise field peas, you know, I think I can do a lot of this stuff economically on my farm, but it requires looking at it through a different lens than your uh, typical accounting where you're looking at, okay, what's going into this crop this season? Mm-hmm. What What's the elevator going to pay me for it? Yeah. That kind of way where if you take a more balanced long-term approach, which 
is kind of hard to do sometimes, but then I think these cool season crops already make sense. But as that demand for things like field peas goes up, it's going to be easier for, for farmers to justify growing them. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying, ironically, that actually opens up opportunities to, to do things like graze cattle on your land because uh, one of the big constraints with uh, corn and soybeans is it's doing most of its uh, growing for just a few months during the summer. Mm-hmm. But that window of time here, especially in in the northern area that we're in, uh, that's when you could be seeding uh, some of these diverse warm season cover crop blends that uh, can grow tremendous biomass and you can have a lot of diversity in those mix mixes and they provide, you know, in some cases enough uh, forage value to, to keep a herd of cattle on mm-hmm. well into the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more field peas, bring it on. <laughs> That's that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you. I was thinking about a couple questions ago. Um, you know, you, you you mentioned some of the challenges that you know some pushback you've you've sensed or felt from from mainstream culture about you know working with animals and and agriculture. But I'd love to hear maybe some pushback you've felt or experienced firsthand. You know, in your community right there in Blue Earth or firsthand, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just like kind of live in this uh, <laughs> bubble of uh, aloofness, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, sometimes, I guess, even like from my own family, it gets to be challenging because I I feel like so, at least some of the things that I'm really trying to push the envelope on, they, they just don't quite understand yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being met with that attitude of, indifference or even you know sometimes I, I feel like it might go even a little beyond that mm-hmm. that uh that can be draining yeah so it would be really cool to to have more of a a team to work with mm-hmm. so if anyone listening to this wants to come join our farm <laughs> <laughs> my dad's retiring so we we might actually have an opening <laughs> Wonderful. We're going to have him uh, and my we, my mom was actually on the payroll this year so she could get medical insurance, but she mm-hmm. just turned 65. So so we might have some uh, some opportunity for someone. Yeah. What, what sort of person are you looking for? Well, if we do, uh, it'd be somebody with uh, a lot of the same skills that my brother Brent and I possess, which mm-hmm. we you know, mechanical skills, uh, ability to safely and efficiently operate heavy machinery and semi trucks, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, the generalist farm skill set. Yeah, yeah. Problem solving—that's mm. that's critical. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just oh, being responsible overall. Mm-hmm. Good attitude, able to learn. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And if they're uh, bonkers about soil health and wanting to try some of this stuff that that I want to do more of, mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, that's a plus, right? Yeah. Well, I I'd love to hear just briefly, you know, where where's a good place for 
for folks to start? You know, maybe people don't have the experience you have of being in a rural agricultural area. Maybe they yeah. just have a yard. You know, what, what sort of things can people do at home? Hmm. That, uh, yeah, that's like the a huge million-dollar type of question. Uh, I mean, even just having conversations, you know, I, yeah. I feel like, you know, talking about some of these misconceptions. Probably about the best way to start. Get out yeah. and try to expand your network. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something I try to do a lot myself just by, you know, interacting with other circles from time to time and, you know, get on get on the radar of some people and, you know, find some mentors, something I need to work harder on myself. Yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, just sit down with a notebook and there's, there's so many uh, resources out. I'm looking at a book sitting right here in front of me, a Jack Canefield mm-hmm. book, uh, the success principles get, you know, something like that. I mean, not every author or teacher is going to, resonate with you personally but there's so many resources podcasts like that out there these days that can help you try to drill down to you know what do you have at your core that you can offer mm-hmm. what what gets you excited mm-hmm. and once you identify a few few of those things drill down and um you know for me it's actually stuff like this trying to teach people uh having great conversations yeah uh, you know, hopefully being an inspiration, that's, that's what gets me really excited. That, and of course the, the observation of just, uh, doing the work and seeing what happens from it, which is, uh, of course a big part of permaculture. Yeah. Uh, everybody is so unique. We all have like these strengths and weaknesses and, uh, I don't think you should always try to shore up your weaknesses, maybe look at outsourcing those and which goes against a little bit of uh, maybe this mindset that's dominant in permaculture that we have mm. to do everything ourselves and be self-sufficient. Yeah. Self, you know, self-reliant. It's not mm-hmm. the same as self-sufficiency and mm-hmm. it certainly isn't the same as taking ownership because we can take ownership by, by asking for help. Yeah, with the things we suck at, so mm-hmm. that we amplify the things that we are good at, and use those to, you know, move move the needle on some of this stuff. Yeah. Oh, there's there's so much wisdom in what you just said. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I I feel like it's just it's this beautiful dance of you know talking the talk and walking the walk. I mean, you know, by hand in hand acting out those principles in your lifestyle you're just you're demonstrating that for people around you through just the osmosis of it it gets hard to uh hard to remember this uh something i struggle with is you know you're not going to do you're not going to check all the boxes every day no um and if if i don't like if i skip physical activity especially i think that is an important one to try to check at least most days but you know, it gets difficult if you, if you feel like you're not, you know, living to your potential, you're not doing all the things that you like to do in one day. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it, uh, one thing I really struggle with is, you know, deciding and then sticking to the plan. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, some days you're not doing the exciting, sexy work. You're, you're, uh, you're out 
dealing with machinery that doesn't work, trying to seed your cover crop on a Sunday morning or afternoon. And, <laughs> you know, keeping in mind, cutting yourself some slack, I guess, is what I'm trying to say that yeah. you don't have to do it all every each and every day. Yeah. Try to keep that dynamic balance and, you know, keep a list of what you have done in the last month, week, year, whatever, to remind yourself that, that, uh, you're doing your best. (laughs) Yeah. It's so important because there, there's going to be those times that you hit those low spots and it's just wonderful. And I think that's also where the, the alone versus the community comes into play and you have Mm -hmm. people and and things around you that help, you know, really reinforce that you have a role in this and then about purpose in this life. Yeah. Yeah. So one, uh, another thing I'd like to improve on is getting my, my two boys involved. Yeah. You've, you've met both, both of my boys and mm-hmm. they, they do help with chores and things here, but if I could get better at, you know, gently culturing this love and respect for, for nature and, um, showing them how fun and rewarding it can be to mm-hmm. get out and ex- experience the outdoors. Uh, yeah. I would feel more successful if I was doing a, a better job of that right now. So if anyone has any tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I had a really great conversation with, with Heidi, uh, a, not too long ago about homeschooling and raising her daughters. And yeah, I'm excited for you to hear that one, but I I would just, Oh, go ahead. It looks like her kids just, uh, (laughs) her love and life. I'm sure it's not always like what you see on the world of Facebook. Heidi's really cool that way too. She, uh, you know, she doesn't always just show the, the, tidy polished parts she's she puts herself out there which is yeah completely agree totally respect yeah and the other thing i was gonna say that about you know about your your kids too um your boys is it's like i mean they're they're picking up on so much and just their everyday lifestyle and you know when when they're older and they move on and and start their their own life somewhere they're gonna potentially miss some of those things that they took for granted right just like every kid probably does and kind of come around full circle you know to some of these things like just the the taking ownership you know at that at that core and and also that that freedom that you spoke of at the beginning of our conversation the freedom of existence and you know taking that responsibility for the necessities of your life and i think you know all of those things are going to be really deep within their core and you know there is i, I can't remember it, it's is there a teenager yet or i can't remember how old yeah they're they're both teenagers actually yeah, the oldest one turns 18 in like a week <laughs> yeah i couldn't remember how old it was yeah so yeah i mean it's crazy it's, yeah <laughs> it's it's that age you know so yeah well, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, what's, what's next for you? What's next in, in your work where you're headed? I know you mentioned the grant that you have coming up. Yeah, um, I'm very excited fun. about that. Yeah. I want to keep growing my uh, pastured pork business. Yeah. Uh, raising turkeys this year was, I, I had a lot of anxiety about that because we 
you know, we did lose a lot of them. I don't know, you know, uh, something with my management, something with the weather. Uh, I, I want to get better at that. And, but also what gave me anxiety about the turkeys was I didn't know like what the quality was going to be like. I didn't know how the, the butchering was going to go. So mm-hmm. we did it here on the farm, mm-hmm. but uh, again, bringing some community. And I had a, a friend bring a friend who we, we both know, he brought a plucker and a scald tank and connected with some other people I met through a farmer from uh, east to here and had there's one helper that lives in town here. So we all came together and got that job done. And it was one of the most, you know, rewarding, just uh, nice, rewarding weekends in wow. my recent memory, getting those turkeys butchered. And then I think people were pretty excited to, uh, to buy them as well. Cause it's uh, kind of a special purchase. They don't mind, you know, paying what what it costs to uh raise a turkey organically like that especially more of a one-time purchase one time throughout the year sure so that was i look forward to raising more turkeys it got me excited about that again Mm -hmm. how was thanksgiving it was great i i didn't think i i almost thought i wouldn't get to eat one of the turkeys i raised Mm -hmm. but i gave one to my aunt and uncle who hosted thanksgiving and my cousin cooked it turned out excellent Wow. How did, how did your family like that? I didn't hear any complaints. <laughs> well, that's good. And uh, dinner with a friend last night as well and got excellent reviews from, from her as well. So wonderful. That's a good feedback on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as far as where, what the future holds, uh, making some decisions, I think some of them are going to be tough decisions and, I think that's another thing that can cause people uh, a lot of anxiety is, you know, knowing that sometimes you need to have the, the uncomfortable conversations that you have to go through the, that discomfort to continue yeah. to grow. Yeah. And, you know, it might just be my, my ADD brain that says like, if I'm not, if I'm too comfortable, something's wrong. <laughs> I mean, we're just wired that way. That yeah, that seems to be a central theme in your work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dynamic balance of you know stressing yourself in the right ways. So yeah, yeah. I'm looking at possibly. I'd like to make some changes with how I spend my time. Maybe dial back my uh, involvement with the family farm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, winter for me is a, a time to start to make some of those plans and make those goals. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited about whatever the future holds. Wonderful. Well, is there, is there anything else you'd like to share? Uh, I think we covered a lot. Okay. Right. Well, how, how can folks learn more about your work and, you know, any other folks you recommend checking out to dive deeper in? Some of the stuff oh, we talked about. I should have made a list. There's probably <laughs> dozens of people. <laughs> if you if you have any resources you want to share, I can put them in the show notes. And that yeah, I will. Uh, I'm going to write myself a little note here, and I'll wonderful I'll some resources uh, that yeah. are pertain to some of the things we talked about. Yeah. Um. I guess. Yeah. If anybody wants to connect with me, I'm on Facebook a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. LinkedIn. 
my web site will be up. Actually, uh, our mutual friend Heidi helped okay. me get that, and I just need to do my part now and get the the photos and some Wonderful. of the descriptions together, and that'll go up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for that because people will be able to reserve whole and half hogs on it as well. Cool. Uh, certainly, anyone's welcome to reach out to me about that. And my email is scott at bluedirtfarm.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott. This has just been a fantastic conversation. And You're welcome, and thank you, Cody. I, I really appreciate it, and um, it's just been an honor, you know, growing this relationship with our program every year and coming to your, to your home and spend time with you and your family. So thank you. Again, you're you're welcome, and yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. So thank yeah. you as well, and I look forward to uh, hearing what what you have in the hopper as well, and definitely look forward to connecting again soon. Yes, yes, I would love to have many future conversations. So thanks again, and have a happy holiday. Happy holidays. All right, take care, Scott. enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it you can do three simple things right now one you can subscribe to permaculture freedom podcast if you haven't yet number two you can leave a short review for us on itunes and third share this episode with a person in your life you think would enjoy it too thank you i really appreciate your support until next time take care my friend